And then they'd come back down, and there was something lethargic. And was that lovely sound that comes from a colony which is active and busy? A little while later, I went down to look at the hives carefully to find out what the problem was. I opened this hive up, and within a few moments, taking out the frames, I realised I knew what the trouble was. Do you know? There was no queen. <coughs> and what's more, the queen had been dead for at least a week because there were no new eggs. With no queen, no new eggs, there is no future. The hive is going to die. So I opened up one of the hives next door, took out one of the frames that had lovely, fresh new eggs on it. You can tell because a new egg in a, queen, in, in a hive stands up on end. Within a few hours or a day or so, they lie down. So I picked out a, a, a frame of, of eggs that had new eggs on, very important, brushed off all the bees from that colony and took this frame and put it into the, the, the hive that had no future. Closed both hives up and waited to see what would happen. Went back a few days later and I could see a change in that hive. And do you know what it was? The bees have this unique ability of taking a young egg, as long as it's young enough, feeding it, treating it carefully, and turning that egg into a queen. They still didn't have a queen. That would take a few days. But they had a future. And now they were busy. They were flying out like the other hives, tearing back in again, tumbling over themselves in excitement because <coughs> things had changed. Now they had a future. You cannot be happy today unless you have a tomorrow. When our girls were in their teens, you know what that means, teens? Parents, you know what it means, teens? Bad, bad news. Try and miss it. Try and get your kids to jump from 12 to 19. And one of their daughters was having a real problem in her teens, this lovely girl of ours who had been so happy, so positive, so cooperative at, cooperative at home, gradually became restless, disturbed, to put it bluntly, downright miserable, and you didn't want to know her. When is it going to end? And to add to the problems, during the same time, she was struggling with what she was going to do with her future, what she was going to be, what dreams she wanted to have for her work. I'll never forget the, type of the day she came home with a big smile on her face, and we hadn't seen that for a long time. And she said, Dad, I've decided what I want to be. I've been talking about it, I've been to see, I've been to see people, and I know what I'm going to be. And that beautiful young girl that we had known some time before was suddenly back with us as a lovely young woman happy. You see, you cannot be happy today unless you know that you have a future and you know that you have a purpose. Jesus understood that. 
He said to his disciples one day when they're in a particularly bad frame of mind, he said, don't worry about it. Let not your heart be troubled. You trust God? Trust me. In my father's house are many homes. I go to prepare a place for you. You do have a future. There is something to look forward to. You cannot be happy today unless you know you have a tomorrow. One day I was uh, travelling on a train and got into conversation with uh, another gentleman who was in the same carriage as myself and we talked about our lives and our families and he asked me what I did and I told him I was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor and he was interested, he said, tell me, what, what do you believe as a Seventh-day Adventist pastor? So, how do you answer a question like that? Have you solved it yet? Extremely difficult, depends who it is you're talking to and what the circumstances are. But I tried my best, I told him, first of all, I'm a Christian. My life has been changed because I've come to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour. And secondly, I follow his example and I worship on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, on the Saturday. And thirdly, as an Adventist, I believe that Jesus is coming again and I have a purpose for my life. He looked at me puzzled, frown on his, life, uh, on his face, and he said, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? And if you step, stop to think about it, it is quite an incredible belief. Quite impossible. But if you are a Christian, that is at the heart of your belief. If you are a Christian, you believe that Jesus Christ was more than an example, more than a model for a good life. Jesus died. Nothing unusual about that. Millions of others have done it. He died to save others. So, plenty of people have done that. <coughs> but not only did he die, he rose again. And he said, I am coming again. And when you think about it, if you read through the, through the gospel stories, it will strike you that that was always Jesus' message. It was always his theme, right from the beginning. In the Sermon on the Mount, he began to introduce it early in his ministry. When he said to, to his listeners, look, don't store up treasure on earth. Be very careful about that. Store up treasure in heaven. Plan for the future. When he sent the 12, 12 disciples out to talk about Jesus, to tell other people the good news, he said, get on with it. Go and tell it before the Son of Man returns. When he told his parables. So many of the parables have serious implications about the future. And have something to say about Jesus coming again. And by the way, that's the theme that Pastor Clee has for this week, this very special week of prayer. During this week, each evening, he will be looking at some of those parables and seeing exactly what Jesus is trying to say to us about Jesus coming again. You ought to be there for those meetings as often as you can this week. 
When he told her, when Jesus taught, prepared his, his disciples for the worst, when he tried to break the news to them that he was going to die soon, and they found it hard to believe, he said to them, don't worry. The Son of Man is going to come in again in his Father's glory. Our scripture reading in Matthew chapter 24 that you know so well. Where Jesus was warning, preparing the people for the destruction of their beautiful city, Jerusalem, one of the great cities of the world. How could it possibly be destroyed? And as he prepared them for this, he said to them, don't forget, I'm coming again. And you can be ready for it. And that same Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, the angel appeared to his disciples and said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you will come again. Jesus knew that you cannot be happy today unless you have a tomorrow. Now, it's not a popular belief today. It doesn't really sink into people's minds. The popular belief today is eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we, tomorrow we die. Yeah. There is no future. So you better enjoy today. And the result is a generation of people, generations of people, who have no future and who have no purpose and no hope. You will know that politicians today are struggling with how to deal with some of the social issues of the society in which we live. They struggle with how to deal with the drug culture and the alcohol dependency culture. But they fail to understand the real problem. The real problem is that we have a generation of people who have no hope for the future. I've been very interested recently to, uh, in some recent week, weeks to read the letters in the local newspaper, the Watford Observer. And, and for a long time there have been a series of letters by the local um, uh, humanist society. Society who don't believe in God and want to aggressively destroy any idea of God in society. It's been very interesting to see how vindictive those letters have been. How they attack the stupidity of those who believe in God. Very aggressively. And it struck me. Why so much aggression? Why are they trying to undermine the hope of people for whom it's a cherished belief? And I realise it's because they are unhappy with what they have. They have no hope. They have no future. You don't need to, me to tell you that uh, one of the other problems that we have in society is, is suicide rate. Phenomenal suicide rate, particularly amongst young people. Why? People who have no future. They don't know what is going to happen. Eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. It's a text that Paul took. He borrowed it from the Old Testament. And when he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and talking about his second coming, he said this. He said, if you don't believe in the second coming, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then you might just as well eat, drink and be merry. 
because you have no future. It's a very interesting text that has always meant a lot to me and I love. In John's letter, the first epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 15, read it for yourself sometimes, sometime. John says, do not love the world or anything in it. Now you would expect, if it was a preacher like me, that you then get an attack on the dangers of the world, the problems, the unhappiness that it will bring if you follow the world. But that's not what John does. He doesn't say anything negative about the world at all in the sense of what it will do to you. He doesn't say that it can't bring you happiness. But this is what he does say. Do not love the world or anything in it because the world and its desires pass away. Get it? If you find your enjoyment and your happiness in the things of this world, then just take note. This world and its desires pass away, but Christianity has a future. Jesus is coming again. The theme of this special week, the reason that we gather around the table that Jesus gathered around with his disciples, because even as he did that, he said to the disciples, I will eat with you now, but next time I eat with you, it will be when I come again to receive you unto myself. The next time we eat at the agape table will be with him in his kingdom. A mother, Adventist mother, once told a story of what happened when visiting missionary friends were coming home for their annual leave. She had arranged to meet them at the airport. And so they tie the day for the arrival of the plane. There's a lot of excitement in the house as they're looking forward to seeing their friends coming back from a mission field. Uh, mother got the little boy, little Johnny, into the car with her, and off they raced to the airport. You know what airports are like, all the noise, all the chaos, people milling everywhere. They watched the boards to see when their friends would be coming through. Suddenly they came through, lots of kissing, lots of hugging, looked for the baggage, get the baggage, put it in the big estate car, driving home, got home, showed them their rooms, unpacked the bags, sat down for a meal, or ready to sit down for a meal, and the phone rang. Hello, Mrs. Jones, is that Mrs. Jones? Yes, Mrs. Jones, do you know that your little boy Johnny is here at the airport? In all the excitement of meeting her friends, picking up their bags, all the noise, all the hugging, she had forgotten her little boy. Terrible guilt, oh, fear, panic, jumped in the car, drove back to the airport. What will my little boy think of me? But I've put other people before him. He'll think I've abandoned him. How terrible it would be. Ran into the, into the airport. Ran into a room where they told her that she would find her little boy. Half expecting him to be broken down, sobbing in tears. And as she walked into the room, she saw him sitting on a chair, eating some sweets. And he looked up and he saw his mum and he said, Hello, mummy. I knew you would come back. I knew you would come back. A little boy's confidence, but his mother, he didn't understand what had happened, but he knew his mother would never let him down, would never forget him. 
Jesus said, you trust God, trust me. I'm coming back again. You do have a future. You cannot be happy today unless you have a tomorrow. I'm now going to share a few verses with you to set the mood for the next part of our service, a very special part. Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it. Then he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take, take and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and he said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. This establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, from this moment on, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when together we drink it in a new way, in my Father's kingdom, me and you. Amen. As you heard, um, Jesus gave thanks. It's a reference to praying. And I want to invite you to bow your heads now as we pray together. <coughs> Our Father in heaven, we thank you that because of you, we do have a hope for a tomorrow. And Lord, as we gather around this table, as you were gathered around the table with the disciples, we want to reflect on what you have done for us in order to give us a tomorrow. Lord, as we uh, think of the disciples, if we had the time to, to read around those verses of that situation, we may realize that uh, some, if not all, had a different perception of what was going to happen. They were distracted by their own ideas. Lord, in this last week since we've last had an opportunity to gather together, we maybe have been distracted by our own ideas, distracted by what this world has to offer, thinking of eating and drinking and being merry. Lord, for these distractions, we ask that you forgive us. And with that confidence of forgiveness, we give you thanks, not just for literal bread and, and wine, food and drink, but for what they represent. We give you thanks for your broken body and spilt blood, that through your actions and our acceptance in response, we can have a hopeful future. So Lord, as we give you our thanks, we come to you with open hearts, humbly 
ready to accept what you have done. So Lord, as we eat and drink, may we pause and remember that what you have done in the past gives us the hope for tomorrow. In Jesus' name we give you our thanks and praise. Amen.